filibuster receives sponsorship from the Ehrlich Law Office, discrimination, wage, and litigation solutions serving Northern Virginia and the District of Columbia. They handle employment issues including wrongful termination, wage disputes, discrimination, equal employment opportunity matters, and more. They also handle civil rights litigation, defamation, and general litigation. For a free consultation, visit EhrlichLawOffice.com slash filibuster. So we do have something important to talk about tonight, and that is the fact that when in the Slack channel that we have, our little chat room for Black and Red United, this afternoon, when making disparaging comments about a particular beer, one of the three of us (laughs) rushed to the defense of Bud Light Lime, a beer so disgusting, John Oliver once did a whole bit centered about around how bad it is and how he would something happened. And yet Ben yep. said he would drink it for no such reason. He would drink it voluntarily and went out of his way to rush to the beer's defense when we were bad mouthing it. Yep. Also my wife enjoys it. So I also feel some uh, familial uh, need to defend it. But I mean, it's basically like drinking a Corona without the added step of actually like buying a lime, cutting up a lime, and then putting a lime in your Corona. I think that's you accurate cannot, in it. You in cannot it, convince both of these beers is of sulfur. I'm not going to say that. Uh, Corona is more expensive. Um, yes, exactly. It has more, more sulfur flavor than Bud Light Lime. Um, I think we, we maybe have a power rankings here of who is most opposed to Bud Light Lime. I think it's Adam, then me, then Ben. <laughs> Um, I think is what the breakdown is because I, I thought John Oliver's bit was actually a little over the top. I feel like he could have picked on a, a different beer harder. It just Bud Light Lime is the most farcical beer, or, or just regular Bud Light. Um, so you're saying I you actually, prefer Bud Light Lime to Bud Light? Obviously. Mm. Yes. I mean, they're both crap. I can't or remember the last time I had regular Bud Light. I think I had a Bud Light Lime at a party when all the other beer was gone. We go. We go in the last two years. We go to Bush Gardens once ish a year, and I will purposefully drink Bud Heavy at Bush Gardens because I don't do roller coasters uh, while I'm holding purses instead of Bud Light because Bud Heavy is oh, man. getting a wasted. far superior beer to Bud Light. I I well, feel like true. I have significantly missed out on some opportunities by not getting really drunk and going on some roller coasters. Yeah, that, that was my because I like too. roller coasters <laughs> and I like being drunk, and I'm sure it would end very well for me. <laughs> so, have you ever tried chewing tobacco and going on a tilt a whirl? Because I, I'm, I just not, no. this, I I'm just picturing this. I'm just picturing this scene from the Sandlot. I think you've pro- gone. I think you've gone too far, Adam. I, I'm referencing zero, the Sandlot. It's never a bad idea to reference the I'm Sandlot. I'm on a zero tobacco usage uh, run. All right. Well, well, that's good. I'm also on on a similar run, but I feel like never mind. I was referencing a damn movie. Come on, <laughs> a 20 year old movie. One of the great movies of our generation. Come on, oh, I wouldn't go that far. You're okay. killing me, Smalls. You're killing me, Smalls. I also, That's the only gotta, good line from that movie. Since we're on the topic of movies that aren't as good L7 as... L7 Weenie? Say, Come on. Uh, Zoolander. Didn't need a sequel. Really wasn't that great. It was okay. 
It was fine. We don't need a second one. Come on. You just wanted to, that. That really was apropos of nothing, it's Jason. Been in my head because I've seen it like eight hundred commercials for it. And he has an outlet, being this podcast that yes, we should probably start talking, talking about. about we're talking I about right now. <laughs> Go ahead and start the show if you'd like. No, I don't want to now. Okay, I just I want to talk about the the big phone small phone joke that was in the trailer for Zoolander. There. Well, let's talk about. I'm, I'm watching some good TV shows. No, nope. hey, hey, time. welcome in. This is Filibuster. <laughs> <laughs> hey, hey, welcome in again. This is Filibuster, the Black and Red United podcast. I am Adam Taylor, joined as always by the only somewhat anti-Bud Light Lime, Jason Anderson, and the completely not anti, in fact, pro-Bud Light Lime, Ben Bromley. We are all from blackandredunited.com, where you can find us writing about DC United, MLS, the U.S. national teams, including Steve Birnbaum, and a lot more. Uh, we've got a good show for you tonight. We are going to talk about uh, Steve Birnbaum, which I completely forgot when I was actually writing the rundown of the show. So we're just going to wing uh, our talk of the U.S. men's national team. We're going to talk about D.C. United's uh, opening preseason game and some roster moves that are and are not or may not be happening for the black and red. Before we do anything, though, Ben, what are you drinking? Not Bud Light Live. Huzzah. But so I I decided to be very Midwestern in my drinks, my drink selection today. So I'm drinking my my drink out of a glass that has the outline of Ohio on it, as I'm showing to the video on this audio podcast. Uh, And it is full of cream soda and bourbon, because I feel like cream soda is a very Midwestern thing. Yeah, I love cream soda. With them. how is that? It's really good because cream soda is okay. Because cream soda is so sugary, and the bourbon goes well with it. Excellent, Jason. What are you drinking? Uh, I picked up a Goose Island Winter Variety Pack, um, mostly on the strength of the beer that I'm drinking. Um, they have an experimental uh, winter ale for 2015, which I. I assume isn't from last year because the beers have all tasted fresh. Um, this is, let's see, Elk Mountain Hops, uh, and it's a winter warmer style ale um, with, they've got some hops. They've got a picture of an elk on the bottle, but it looks kind of like a tag for an experiment is the idea. But I had the first one out of the case, and it was really good. Um, so if you find the Goose Island winter uh I don't know exactly what it was even called. Winter variety pack, basically. Um, it's the bottle with the blue. It's it's very good for wintertime drinking, even though it's really not that cold out today. No, today was nice and, and surprisingly warm, and mm-hmm. most of the snow is gone, which I'm celebrating. Uh, in honor of our new, of DC United's newest acquisition from the Colorado Rapids, one Marcelo Sarvis, I am drinking a new Belgium beer from... Colorado that was totally not coincidental that I just happened to have in my fridge. Uh, it's their rampant Imperial IPA. Um, I, I would make a joke about somebody running rampant. Steve Birnbaum. Steve Birnbaum ran rampant in the second half yesterday, and that's also why I'm drinking this and totally not making that up on the spot. It's a good beer. It's an Imperial IPA. It's big. It's hoppy, but like developed kind of hops, not just bitterness or 
grapefruit on the tip of your tongue. It's actually got some complexity to it, which is nice. Uh, I like that in a beer. Let's talk about Steve Birnbaum. Let's talk about the U.S. men's national team who played Iceland and won 3-2 to two this weekend in Carson, California, uh, the first of two matches at the end of uh the, the January camp. Steve Birnbaum from DC United called in late after a couple players pulled out of the camp and he got on in the second half and uh, had himself a game. Had an assist on the, the equalizer, uh, scored the game winner for his first international goal and uh, was also the closest defender to to Seegerson's go-ahead goal for Iceland in the second half. Doesn't mean he was at fault. He just happened to be the closest guy to it. Uh, ben, you're doing a funny hand gesture there. What's that all about? I'm doing an obscene hand gesture because uh, I find that blaming Steve Birnbaum for that goal is uh, somewhat ridiculous. Let's talk about that goal some. There was a foul when a United States player in, stepped in, on in an Iceland half. player in in Iceland's half. Yes. Um, I think the Iceland player was on the ground, and I think a couple of American players wanted a foul called on him and not the guy who ran on top of him. Like three or um, four U.S. players. Yeah, well, everyone not named Steve Birnbaum mostly stopped mm-hmm. and watched the play there. Uh, the ball gets very quickly down Iceland's left wing. Uh, Michael Orozco attempts a tackle from a bad position, gets nowhere near, and all of a sudden Steve Birnbaum is one-on-one with this guy, Sigerson, whose first name is escaping me. I apologize. Going back a little bit in the game, Iceland did a whole lot of building up on their right side and then doing big switches over to Sigerson. So he had already two or three times prior to this had received the ball in space on the left side, cut into his right foot, and measured up a, a shot. He came close a couple of times. This time he didn't miss. Birnbaum over-pursued a little bit, and he he came out and said, I was there, I should have made a better play. Um, curled it around Birnbaum and, and to the far post, Luis Robles wasn't close to it. Jason, where does, does Birnbaum... I guess if we want, if we had to assign fault, where would he fall on on the rankings for this goal? Uh, I've got at least four players that definitely come to mind ahead of him. Um, first of all, it's Orozco for being badly out of position and then trying the desperation tackle too early. Um, he still had time to guide the player towards Burnbaum so that the two of them could do something about it, but instead Orozco went in within. Like he, he realized he'd made a terrible mistake with his positioning and not paying attention. And then he compounded it by trying to save the day before desperation time re- had really struck just yet. Um, Jones and Bradley both, uh, were not paying enough attention to the ball and the free kick. Um, Bradley, in fact, was still arguing with the referee after the goal had been scored. Um, those two with their experience, that's completely inexcusable. Um, for them not to, to, the, the, the killer is that. When the foul happened, the first Iceland player on the ball didn't take the... It wasn't like it was an instant quick free kick. There was a second or two where nothing happened. Um, so they had time to make their argument briefly. And then, I mean, granted, briefly, by that, I mean, you're basically yelling no, and then you're looking for the ball. Um, but you have time to do something and pay attention to the ball, and you can still yell at the referee while staring at the ball. Um 
And then Luis Robles takes some blame because he he wasn't in a good position to make the save. He was too far to one side um, towards his near post where the ball was never going to get to because of Burnbaum's positioning. Um, the far post was what was open, and the, you know it's a very good goal. But Robles needs to be closer to that. He needs to be about a stride and a half, maybe even two full strides closer to his back post because that's the only place the shot was going. Um, and you know it's not perfect defending by Burnbaum, and he actually summed up exactly what he should have done. Um, he could have angled the player, blocked off that wide shot a little bit, and forced the guy to um, either carry the dribble on by a couple more touches, which allows more players to get into position, or force the guy wide, or just get closer to him enough that the shot maybe clips him instead of going into the goal. Um, but you know, the immediate reaction was basically, well, you were nearest to the ball last, so it must have been your fault. Um, which is the kind of thing that you see in like bad indoor soccer leagues and people don't understand how goals are scored and how defenses break down. So people get mad at whoever's near the goal, near the ball um, to, to put it on Burnbaum alone, which was a weirdly common reaction from even some people that should know better on the soccer Twitter sphere. Um, what that puzzled me because a lot went wrong on that play before it ever got to Burnbaum and a lot went wrong after the ball went around Burnbaum. But, um, you know, fortunately for him, he then made up for it. He didn't let an early goal like that, you know, three, four minutes in, or was it even three minutes after the half had started? I think it was two, two and a half. Right. So that yeah, was the quick. kind of thing when you step into a game and that happens immediately and you know, you're involved in a goal against, um, no matter how high up the chain of command you are on it. Um, that can really hurt a player mentally. And he actually bounced back from it. And, you know, the defending wasn't very good the whole night, but a lot of it just seemed like there was not much work done to organize the defense. Um, the midfield wasn't really helping. The space in between the lines was just sort of unguarded all the time. And Iceland kept coming through that space, um, which again gets to Jones and Bradley aren't really a very good central midfield pairing. Cause they both want to do a lot of the same things. Um, they weren't getting much guidance from Robles and goal. They weren't getting much guidance from Matt Beasler, who actually was wasn't awful. really, I wasn't going to go that far. I was just going to say he just wasn't very good, especially given that he plays the role of organizer in Kansas city. And on that back line with Orozco and Burnbaum, he has to take that role um, with Robles and goal as well. Like he, of those three players, he's by far the most experienced internationally. He's got to take charge. And he, I don't think it didn't appear that he was taking very much command at all. Um, so all of those things, you know, it wasn't a perfect defensive performance, but I think there was a lot going on to make a, every attack Iceland attempted ended up looking better than it should have because the U S wasn't very well organized, but he still bounced back and made th- some things happen, which is really what, what counts. Yeah. The first half was kind of all about Josie Altador looking better than he has in a, a long while set pieces for the U.S. They scored twice on set pieces. Uh, one of them, a corner kick that got half cleared before Josie Altidore clipped it back in across to the far post where Steve Birnbaum was waiting. Birnbaum pushed pushed it back across the face of goal where Michael Orozco turned it in. And then uh, in stoppage time in the second half, Michael Bradley uh, serves a free kick from uh, the right wing in and Steve Birnbaum just runs in completely unmarked, which Iceland, what are you doing? 
Why are you playing a, a zonal scheme against these guys? Um, and just completely unmarked, just runs and beats a defender to the ball and heads it in. Keeper never had a chance. Great headers by Birnbaum, both of them. Uh, it's great to see him still have that ability on attacking set pieces and not just defensive set pieces where he has been a force for DC United. He hasn't gotten on the end of very many crosses or, or free kicks for United uh, in a way that, that turns them on goal. He tends to just miss. I don't know if it's the, the defending's a little better. I'm sure it is because the defending on these set pieces was really bad. But it, hopefully it's something, a trend that he can build on for DC United this year and turn some set piece goals in. Yeah, and I think the main thing for United is maybe providing a little different uh, service um, because Burnham's going to get to just about anything you hang up there. The problem has been usually he's getting under balls. He's not able to snap it down and ends up going just over or just wide or whatever. Um, if the service is a little more precise, he's not having to do anything extra. He's just like the Bradley service, for example. He ran onto it, and there was no question that he was going to put it on frame uh, as soon as he – you know, got anywhere near the ball. He wasn't having to adjust in midair. He wasn't having to change his run or anything like that. Um, and granted, you know, Bradley's free kicks are, are usually pretty excellent um, as far as service goes. So um, United could use someone that could uh, deliver a little more in that, in that uh, respect. But um, so a little more work, I think on overall set piece play might help because Burnbaum, I mean, the, the, the data even, bears out that other than Kendall Waston, he is the best player in the air in MLS. And between him and Waston, it's pretty much a dead heat. Um, that's a player you should be getting goals out of. Uh, as much as we don't think of center backs as scoring options, this team doesn't score a lot of goals in the first place. So they should be looking for creating the environment where Burnbaum can get on these, these set pieces and score some goals because he's got it in him and he's done it before. So, you know, it really just comes down to, working at set pieces and, and doing, doing some things maybe a little different this year than last year. We could break down the tactics of this game uh, against Iceland and, huh. and talk about the, the different things that, that Jurgen Klinsmann and probably Jason Kreis had some input to since he's on the, the coaching staff for, for this camp. We're not going to do that. We're not going to torture ourselves like that. Instead, we're going to take a quick break and we'll be right back to talk about DC United who played their first preseason game, which means DC United soccer, meaningful soccer, is is going to be right around the corner. So stick around. This is Filibuster, the Black and Red United podcast. Hey, Ben, you know how you're always going on and on about legal advice on this show? Well, and yeah. Not, and you never, ever use the term correctly? Well, of course not. I try not to use the term correctly. Right. Our new sponsors, the Ehrlich Law Office, they do use the term correctly all the time. In fact, that is what they do. Oh, so if I actually wanted legal advice, I should probably go to them? Yeah, exactly. If you're in Northern Virginia or the District of Columbia, they handle employment issues, general civil litigation, defamation, lots of stuff. Uh, they have you covered. Jason, I'm sorry, they do not have you covered because you are in Maryland where they are not operating just yet. Uh, fine. So... Ehrlich Law Office, it's, a, it's really good people. Uh, Josh is their, their main proprietor, Josh Ehrlich. Uh, he's a law school friend of mine. His, one of their, their attorneys, Ben, uh, a lot of our listeners know him from games and, and other places. So, guys, for a free consultation, go to Ehrlich Law Office. 
facebook.com slash filibuster. Welcome back to Filibuster, the Black and Red United podcast. Let's talk about some DC United. They opened their preseason this uh, or on Friday with a one nothing loss to Elfsborg, which is a Swedish team, I want to say. Yes, Swedish. Uh, all Svenskin team, etc. cetera. Uh, they gave up Go, an early goal. Svenskin. Yes, throwing back to an old joke there. United gave up an early goal before settling in for what turned into an incredibly first preseason game of the year kind of game. Not a lot of chances, not a lot of cohesion. Um, a lot of coaches yelling fundamental things from the sidelines as they try to work in new wrinkles to their system or maybe adopt a totally new system altogether, uh, which might be what Ben Olsen is doing. We'll, we'll have another data point uh, as we record this tomorrow. So uh, today, as you listen to this, if you're on top of things or in the past, if you're not on top of things, seriously, listen to the show when it comes out. Is it that hard? Come on, guys. Yeah, come on. I don't mind. Ben Olsen. You want to. Jason is Jason is the one being reasonable, so you know that it's, we've staked out really. You got you guys got to learn to play to the crowd to give them what they want. <laughs> our, our, so, our crowds obviously want slightly tipsy berating. <laughs> I can arrange that. <laughs> That's basically what our show is at this point. Uh, ben Olson did a fair amount of tactical experimentation in this one. All of it, though. Uh, All of the multiple formations he ran out involved a five-man midfield, which is obviously a big change from the last couple years of very vanilla 4-4-2 with a two-man central midfield. In this game, whether it be 4-1-4-1, 4-2-3-1, 4-4-1-1, there was always uh, an extra man in central midfield. Ben, do you think that this is um, just... Ben Olsen running out what he has available to him, which at this point is mostly central midfielders, or or do you think that this is uh, this is a preview of what we should expect for the rest of this year? I mean, I think it is definitely a flavor that Ben Olsen is trying out. I mean, he has a lot of central midfielders right now in camp, but even when everybody's in camp, he still has a lot of central midfielders, so... It's no, despite the, uh, despite the narrative, Ben Olsen has tried other formations and he's not married to a 4-4-2. He's tried multiple formations every year since he's been coached. He's going to try at least two formations this year too. Uh, so he's trying to figure out with what he's got, how to get all of his best players on the field at the same time. And if it involves an extra player in the midfielder, which at this point it looks like it might, he's going to at least experiment that experiment with that through the preseason. So I think we're going to see a lot more uh, heavy midfield lineups as in probably different iterations as we go through the preseason. And that's good. That's fine. That's what the preseason is for. The preseason is for trying out Nick DeLeon in central midfield for an extended period of time to see if it works. If it doesn't, then he's back on the wing. But we're not going to know unless we try this sort of thing during the preseason. Jason, Ben Olsen talked about at the end of last year how 
maybe the system they had been using had peaked and they'd gotten everything uh, they could out of it. Do you think that switching to a a three-man central midfield is is part of his plan to address that, or or is this something that we might see fall by the wayside and we'll see a reversion to the four four two as as preseason progresses? At this point, I still think the four four two is going to be what we start the season in, um, but I do think. It's it's in Olsen's mind, I'm, I'm going to guess. Um, I do wonder how much of this is motivated by giving all of his various central midfielders who are in camp specifically to prove whether they belong or not. You have to give them time in a role that is something they can do. You, you don't, you're not going to ask Paul Klaus to play left midfield for 90 minutes. It's just not fair to him. It's not a good evaluation of him. Um, so you've got to get all of these guys their minutes in a fairly – familiar position to, to what they're used to. Um, the daily own experiment as Ben brought up is uh, another thing that needs to be tried now when it, the results don't really matter. Um, but I do think it's on the table. I think it's something that we could see maybe more often, um, maybe mixed in with the four, four, two, we might see um, road games, especially against more dangerous opponents or against teams known for pressuring in the midfield. Um, we might see a switch to that for that game and then a return to the 4-4-2. It might become Which a is situation. similar to what happened in 2012. Right. And um, that's something that's not – it's it's not that – a lot of MLS coaches prefer to have their system and that's what they do and that's it. Um, especially in the East, there's not very much – except for Philadelphia who um, are kind of all over the place. Um, though even, even this year they apparently are drifting towards – an idea of this is what we're going to do. And that's that um, United would be a, kind of an, an oddball in that category. If they're switching back and forth for, um, you know, gauging whether this game is one they're more likely to win or more likely to lose. And then picking a formation based on that. Um, but they're already kind of the outlier by playing a four, four, two in the, in the first place. Uh, the rest of the conference is playing with three central midfielders. So it, it's something that needs to be considered. Um, I don't know if we have enough central midfielders to get the best 11 on the field and play three central midfielders right now. Um, it would be awfully nice to see three central midfielders prove that they belong. All, they all belong on the field. Um, obviously, there are deals being made to try and add to the midfield, but that's because at least one and probably two midfielders are already gone. Um, so that's adding into it. You know, if – adding a man to central midfield is already on the table. It becomes even more of an issue when you're losing one and, and probably two um, you've got to bring in that many more players. So it's kind of a chaotic thing at this point. Um, if I would say maybe when we play the Tampa Bay Rowdies um, or Montreal or Philadelphia later in the preseason, if we're still seeing halves or, or whole games being played with some variation of a four five one, that's when I would start to say maybe we should be expecting it. But right now we've got one game's evidence where Chris Rolfe was unavailable. There's a a, her, a whole herd of central midfielders trying to make the, the roster. So Halsey, it's a little Halsey hard. was all, also unavailable. Right, which would have just added to the logjam. Yeah. Um, it, was, it almost was like a blessing in disguise that he wasn't uh-huh. there needing minutes in that one because all these other players needed those minutes. Um, By the way, congratulations so, to Marcus Halstey and yes. Mrs. Halstey um, on the birth of their second child. Hooray, babies. Sorry, had to had to get that shout out. Um, 
But, you know, it, he might not have played that game anyway had he been there because of the number of players that, you know, United tends to have a bunch of trialists um, or even, a, you know, usually it's not this many trialists, but um, usually we see cuts made before the first two weeks of camp are out or at the end of the first two weeks. Um, so you've got to give those guys a chance to show what they can do. Otherwise you're just wasting their time as well as your own. So um, I'm not prepared to say there's a pattern yet, but I do think it's at least something that's bouncing around the coaching staff's mind is going forward. So Ben Olsen in his time with DC United has, we, we alluded to it earlier, has developed a reputation for not using uh, a number 10 type, not using a three-man midfield. He, as we discussed, he used a three-man midfield for all of this game, and for more than half of it, he had somebody occupying a number 10 spot, whether it be in a, a 4-2-3-1 or a 4-4-1-1. He had somebody specifically playing in the hole behind that striker in between the lines. Uh, for a little bit, it was Santiago uh, Ditborn, a trialist from Chile, but for the entire second half, it was Colin Martin a guy that he said going into last year was going to be a, a more important player and get a lot more minutes. Martin's a combination of health and injury didn't allow that to happen for Martin last year. Ben, is this the year that we see Colin Martin do a little bit more? Well, I mean, he's going to do a little bit more because he did basically nothing last year. So right. he's going to do infinitely more this year because he did nothing. Um I really hope he actually Thank you makes... for the divided by zero joke. You're welcome. Uh, L'Hopital, <laughs> blah, blah, blah. Um, I really hope he makes an actual impact on the team this year, uh, rather than being sent to Richmond all of the time. I mean, playing is better than not playing, but I really hope he is able to uh, make an impact on the team enough that he is forcing himself into the 18 uh, on a regular basis. So I don't know how, I don't, I don't know how likely that is, but it's, it's what I really want. I really want him to be making an impact and making himself known and making himself indispensable in that 18. I'd certainly like to see more from him in the the second preseason game uh, while there's still a log jam in central midfield. If, if he can, get some time and really impress there. That would bode well going into the next phase of preseason, and maybe he can build on that. I'm naming very small at this point uh, for Colin Martin, hoping he can build that into to something bigger. As I mentioned earlier, that game is Tuesday against Young Kumping's Sudra. El- J. Sudra. J. Sodra, as Ben insists that we call it. They, they, uh, that's they Tuesday. call him that in, in Sweden, too. It's not just me. That game will be 3.30 Tuesday, or was 3.30 Tuesday, as you listen to this. Jason, anything you want or expect to see out of that game? Um, I think what I'd really like to see is is more of whether De Leon can can play central midfield. Um, whether it's in a four four two or any four five one, um, because right now there's such a there's a need for central midfielders. We need to know that De Leon can't. It's not just an emergency fill in. Um, because as much as there are many trialists in camp, there aren't that many central midfielders on the team. Um, and with his passing accuracy, I, I remain intrigued. 
um, in his ability to be someone that can play in that role. He's not going to be a playmaker there, but he can definitely help the team if he can make that transition. Um, I guess the other thing I'd like to see is a little more diversity in the attack with the the closest thing to a first team we had. Um, the left side uh, was pretty much excluded for the entire time they were in. Um, there wasn't much of Taylor Kemp. There wasn't much of Lamar Nagel. Um, but they did end up carving out a pretty decent chance when they finally were involved, when the ball finally found its way over there. Um, so I'd like to see the team get that side of the attack involved a little more. Um, I also, I kind of liked what I saw of Jalen Robinson playing as a center back. Um, that was, that was promising because he is undersized clearly, um, for the, for the role. But when you want to get away from playing long ball so much, it helps to have someone that's really good with the ball at their feet at center back. And Robinson is, um, Probably arguably the best defender in terms of just completing simple passes. He maybe maybe doesn't have Taylor Kemp's crossing ability, um, but in terms of reliably putting the ball where it needs to go, I think he's going to be an improvement there. I, I'm not saying that he's going to push Bobby Boswell aside or, or Kofi Opare or Steve Birnbaum, but um, I would like to see that option on the table a little more because I think we need to get some of these homegrown players involved in the team a little bit. Um, it would also be nice to see Julian Buescher make his debut. Um, and it would be nice to see Chris Rolfe out there because it, he's Chris Rolfe. You want to see him play in soccer. Um, that one's just a, a pretty entry level <laughs> request, but, um, <laughs> hope, hopefully, uh, from a big picture standpoint, I would just like to see a little more attacking intent because I think the last game, it got bogged down in the midfield a lot and there just seemed, there seemed to be a satisfaction from both teams in stringing possession together and staying organized. And that was pretty much it from both sides for, for most of the game. Um, I'd like to see a little more of an up-tempo game where there's a little more desire to test goalkeepers, even if that means risking things in the back, because look, if you lose a preseason game, it doesn't matter. Um, But United struggled scoring goals down the stretch last year. And that's what I'd like to see a little more of because with Hamid gone, they're going to have to put more goals on the board. You know, playing for the one nothing at Orlando City, um, that's not going to happen um, this year. I don't think. I don't think we're going to, you know, see ten saves that in our goal until Hamid is back, and then you get your one chance and score. It's not a viable plan. So you've got to find a way to put put goals on the board, and hopefully there'll be a little more attacking play in this one. Let's turn our attention now to some of the off-field machinations that we've seen over the last couple weeks with with DC United. The first, there are two sagas in a trade that we're going to talk about here. The first saga is the Leonardo Gill saga, which uh, has a, a, a kind of coda that's completely unrelated to DC United. And that is the massive brawl at the Estudiantes game this weekend that was precipitated by a karate kick to the head of an Estudiantes player, followed by another red card foul, followed by an all-and-out street fight on the field. It's If you don't mind violence, like actual uh, clockwork orange ultra-violence on a soccer field, go watch the video. If you do mind it, don't watch it because... It's really, really violent. But Leonardo Gill is a defensive midfielder or, or two-way midfielder, really, 
from Estudiantes de la Plata in Argentina. DC United tried to get him on the, the team last year in the summer. He decided he didn't want to come north at that time. Apparently, from what we understand, he was more willing now to come up, but due to other transfers into and out of Estudiantes, the club didn't want to let him go. And so they, they turned down United's offer after what sounded like a pretty lengthy uh, negotiation process. Ben, anything I missed? Anything you want to add? Any thoughts on Leonardo Gill and what, what seems to be a dead dead letter now? I mean, yeah, it's... DC United is a weird position because they've been admittedly very bad at international signings in recent memory. But this offseason, they're really making an effort. And so I feel like... We should pat them on the head for making the effort, but it all depends on what happens on the field when all is said and done. And they're still trying to sign people, so and we'll get to that later, but it is a little sad that they weren't able to get Leonardo Gill, but given that what we've seen of him, given that he wants to stay in Argentina, given that his team wants him to stay in Argentina, you don't want to overpay and just like and mortgage your entire future just to get one player. So I'm okay with the fiscal constraints. I'm okay with the caution, especially with a team that's been bad at international signings. So it's, we're still, we're still in a very, a very transitional stage and and it'll be more defined in the next couple of weeks once they have the final team decided. Yeah, from what from what we know about the Leonardo Gill saga, uh, it sounds like less of a failure of negotiation and just uh, kind of damn luck kind of situation that that Estudiantes found themselves in a position where they're not willing to part with the player anymore at a price United could afford, or or maybe even at any price, um, because they need that position on the field. Um, if they'd been able to come to an agreement with the player earlier. Maybe it could have gone through, but but at this point, it's, it doesn't seem to be in the cards. Another midfielder, uh, two-way player, definitely more on the attacking side and certainly the more notorious of, of the transfer sagas that United has been embroiled in over the last week or so is that of Antonio Nocerino, Italian player, former uh, member of the Azuri, uh, who plays for AC Milan or doesn't play for AC Milan, as the case may be. He is not in the manager's plans. All speculation says they will let him uh, end his contract and, and leave on a free transfer. There are two MLS clubs interested in him, DC United and Orlando City FC, SC, whatever letter they use down in Florida. The latest is that uh, Orlando City seems to have the inside track. However, DC United has the discovery claim on him, which means that Orlando City is going to have to pay DC United or trade something to United for the rights to Antonio Nocerino. This has been a really weird saga for as quickly as it has played out, honestly. It seems like every hour there's a new report. Uh, it started off DC United was 
had Dave Casper and Jason Levian flying over to Milan to talk to him. That was on Thursday. They watched his practice on Thursday, talked with him on Thursday, did the same thing on Friday. We had conflicting reports that they were very close on money. They were very far apart of, on money. Spanish club Getafe or Getafe was getting involved, but didn't couldn't match DC United's offer for money to Notorino, but he would prefer to stay in Europe. Kaká may have called him at some point last week to talk about him. They were teammates at AC Milan a while back. Kaká trying to recruit him to Orlando City. Apparently, based on reports and rumors, that may have worked. And now he wants to go to Orlando City. But there's another report saying that he is not going to Orlando City because he's waiting for another European club to make an offer. Maybe Cali, Cali, Cali I can't say that word, Caligari. Uh, in, Cagliari. Cagliari. Thank you, Jason, for letting me hang myself there. I wanted to see if you would land on it or not. And they're also, I, I, and they're also I was just writhing there with a neck with a with a noose around my neck. And there are also rumors that DC United has upped their offer after all of this has happened. Even more so. So so there's basically don't believe anything that comes out of Italy until it's done. Like Italy believe really that, is the worst. The Italian press really is the worst. Believe that something could be happening, like believe that there's smoke there, but when it comes to details just roll with it. You don't have to dismiss it, but take it into consideration, take it under advisement and, and wrap it in with everything else. You know, do not take anything out of Italy as definitive until the player has been introduced basically. So United could well end up with a Syria level uh, central midfielder, or they might not. Maybe they end up with some allocation money from Orlando instead. Or maybe they end up with nothing. At this point, who the hell knows? It's a really bizarre saga to follow. And normally I don't talk that much in a clip on this show because <laughs> I like to true. introduce things. That's I, I, I like to leave the long expositions to, to you guys when I can. No, you don't. I do. I really do. Jason, what do you make of this whole thing? And is No Torino the kind of player that you want to see in an international transfer for DC United? I mean, he does make a lot of sense. Um, a player that mostly through a coaching change has found himself completely out in the cold. Um, he doesn't, apparently, he does not fit the formation or style of play for AC Milan. It's not that he's hurt. Um, it's not that they think he's a bad professional or anything. He just doesn't fit what they want to do on the field. Um, so from that, from, from that perspective, that's the kind of player that an MLS team should be trying to get, because if he's good enough to play at, you know, a big league and a big club, um, at some point and he's not injured or broken somehow, then yeah, you should be interested. Um, United can't afford a player like Kaká, for example. We know that that's not about to happen. Um, no, Serino apparently was willing to come here for roughly Fabian Espindola's salary. Um, so yeah, that's, that's right in United's wheelhouse. Um, as a high energy central midfielder is known for working really hard on both sides of the ball, getting involved, um, connecting passes, things like that. He does definitely fit the, the profile in central midfield, but, um, 
you know, you, there are always the questions about bringing a European player over. Are they going to take it seriously? Um, is he going to be like Steven Gerrard or Frank Lampard and show up and be confused that America is a larger country than where he's coming from? Um, which somehow keeps being a thing. Um, for every designated player you hear signing in MLS that does come in with that understanding, there are two or three that don't. Um, it's amazing how bad Americans are at geography, and it's almost almost heartening to know that Europeans are just as bad. Yeah, at least European soccer players um, just to have no idea. Um, but it, it's a signing that lines up in a lot of ways, but you've still got to find a way to get the deal done. And sometimes it's not even financial. I mean, Orlando is relying on the fact that apparently is, I should say is relying on the fact that Kaka is his old teammate and can call him and talk to him. Um, United doesn't have that, but they did apparently try to get a spindle to talk to Leonardo Gill to get uh, one Argentine to talk to another. Um, All of this stuff goes into it. It's not just a purely financial game. A lot of times, I mean, Christian Namath aside, um, it's not about how much money you can offer sometimes. Sometimes the the money is pretty much the same. It doesn't really matter. It, it's not enough of a difference. And then it's just about winning the, the hearts and minds, so to speak. Um, and maybe that's where United's losing out. Maybe Kaka called him and said, look, I, I played in D.C. They've got, you know, old training fields. They play in an old stadium down in Orlando. Everything's new and our owner is wealthy and spends a lot of money. Um, it could be something as simple as that. Um, we'll probably never know exactly uh, what was going on there. And in all honesty, it's probably not going to matter that much um, because the the weird thing about this is, to me at least, is that Nostarino doesn't make any sense for Orlando. Um, they already have young, talented central midfielders as well as depth. Um, it's like the one part of their team, other than Kyle Lahren, that that actually is good and healthy and reasonable. It's not. It's the one area of their team they shouldn't be working on. Um, and they're trying to sign a low-level designated player or having to spend a lot of TAM to pay him down. It doesn't make any sense. Um, and also have to acquire his rights from another team. Right. Like it, it seems like an awful lot to go through to bolster the one part of your team that's any good. One but, also, and one also, according to rumors reports, DC United only got interested in him because he was interested in MLS. They weren't going out to right. sign him specifically he w- became available and then, then and then they got interested in him right i think they did have talks before levian and casper embarked on their european adventure where they're going to four european countries and so far they've been to one they're on their way to the second um because you don't stop to meet a player in person until you've had some kind of communication with them before that. Well, they could have been going to Italy regardless because Eric Tohier right. is in Italy. Yeah, that's a good point. In Milan specifically at that. Yeah. But but they they probably I don't think they changed their plans on a whim to just show up at the the Milanello for AC Milan and and talk to Notorino. I think that there was some kind of communication before that and possibly advanced talks before that. But I I agree they that the word that he, his agent and AC Milan were shopping him specifically to MLS is probably what started this whole thing. Uh, one thing I do want to specify or, or clarify is what Orlando City would have to pay DC United to get 
No Torino. And it's Kyle not. Aaron. <laughs> it is not just fifty thousand dollars of general allocation money, which is what it would take if DC United had him on their discovery list, but had not gotten to the point in negotiations where they're making him contract offers. If a team gets to the point where they are making legitimate bona fide contract offers, there's not a set price for a player. This is what happened with Didier Drogba and the Chicago fire. Montreal had to pay Chicago a lot uh, to get Drogba. And that is the case that we're in with Orlando because DC United talked with the player, negotiated with the player, made a a contract offer. Not not just a contract offer. Not just a token offer to to lock something down. They want, they want the, they want the player. Right. And so, and so Orlando will have to pay to get his MLS rights from DC United, unless DC United goes crazy and just waves them. Right, and no one's no one is ever saying that it's going to be the same price as as Drogba was. Right, correct. Um, no. You know, I I had a lot of uh, Twitter discussions today on this subject, and apparently there was a lot of assumption that it's either fifty thousand or the Drogba price tag, and there can't be a possible uh, in between. Uh, there's a lot of space that the the rumor and MLS is never going to confirm it, but the rumor was that uh, Montreal had to pay two hundred and fifty thousand dollars in allocation, which is like three times the normal allocation money trade. And I think there was at least one first round draft pick thrown in as well. Um, we're not talking about something in that league at all. Um, but it's going to be more than fifty thousand. Um, there's no reason for United to just accept the bare minimum when a conference foe is not just getting stronger, but also is taking a player off their table. Um, They're going to want something for it. And given that no Serena's rival uh, in Orlando is going to give a law is going to leave them with a log jam at central midfield and United happens to need some central midfielders. I think they should be looking for one of Orlando's young central midfielders. They've got Darwin Saren. They've got Christian Hikita. They're both very good young players that uh, are going to keep getting better and also are pretty valuable players down the road where these are the kind of guys that we might see transfer to bigger leagues than MLS, which means more in the future for for whoever has them at the time. Um, If Orlando wants to sign a 31-year-old to a low-level DP deal and push one of those guys further down the bench, maybe they're also willing to give one of those guys up uh, to get this player. I still don't understand it from their end whatsoever, but um, this is the, and, and honestly, this isn't really how it should work. Um, discovery rights are already kind of a farce. Um, you know, right. if, if, yeah, if nobody gets beat the system, but given right. the system that we if have, Orlando yeah. wins the negotiations, then so be it. Um, but those aren't the rules in MLS. Um, if you get that discovery claim in first and you, and you're the one up there, you get something and right. it's the not whole point. going to be nothing. Uh, it's yeah. not going to be a little, you know, oh, here's a second round pick in, in 2019. It's going to be a legitimate thing that can help United. And they should probably be looking for a player, not just money and picks. It should be, they should be looking for someone that can put on the field. Hopefully someone that is no, you know, we're, we're not looking for a player in their thirties because we've already got enough of those. Right. And I'm not sure that I was going to be in position to be able to, to give a lot of chits that aren't players in this deal, just because 
they have three DPs already. I guess Rivas might be coming off of that designation because of how they accounted for his transfer fee. Right. But if he's not, then they're going to have to use Tam to pay down either Rivas or, or Notorino. And so they're not going to want to trade a lot of Tam right to us and I don't want to trade a lot of gam either so i you have to think that a player might be what it, they would trade i will i will that also said, throw in oh go ahead that said the, the easiest thing would just be for united to sign no Torino. right that's the most straightforward thing but um that also doesn't appear to be particularly likely at this point um the other the other player that comes up with orlando's roster that is a young player with a lot of potential is uh brian Roches who they also signed to a young designated player deal because they paid a transfer fee. Um, he's already played for Honduras' senior team. He doesn't get any time in Orlando because Kyle Lahren is there. Um, definitely a raw player, but a young striker who would add some athleticism. And United does need one more forward. They could definitely use some more youth up there. So he also is a player that makes some sense on Orlando's roster that, yes, he does have value in Orlando, but you're not getting – a Serie A player with Italy caps in, in recent times for, for free. It just doesn't work like that. So what you're, you're, right. saying, you're saying you don't want Brexit. I did see Orlando city fans I, actually willing, willing to trade Brexit. I saw a lot of that. Um, he was one of the most, um, the guys at the mainland put out the question of what would you trade to DC to make this deal for no Serino? Brexhay was on a lot of – he wasn't the most common. The most common player they put forward was Adrian Winter, their Dutch winger, who is also pretty good but doesn't really make any sense for United's end. Um, mm-hmm. But Brexhay was the second most common name on that list of responses uh, that I saw, um, which is a big surprise. And I feel like even though United doesn't really need players on the left side, you kind of have to take a player of, of Brexhay's quality. But I don't think Orlando – they doesn't really matter. Orlando's not trading Breck Shea to get Nostarino. That's not who they're going to be sending here. Um, if anyone epitomizes Florida man and MLS, <laughs> it is Breck Shea. He belongs in Orlando more than any player ever has or ever will. This is true. Uh, the the last the, the transaction that's actually happened and isn't just uh, conjecture or, or in progress or failed is a trade DC United made and became official today as we record this for Mar- Marcelo Sarvas. DC United sent targeted allocation money and a conditional 2018 draft pick. We don't know what round. We will find out. It probably depends on how many games Marcelo Sarvas plays because that's how conditional draft picks tend to work. Uh, to the Colorado Rapids for Marcelo Sarvas. He won a couple of MLS Cups in L.A. with the Galaxy playing in there, 4-4-2. He won a couple of Costa Rican league titles with Alo Valencia. Before that, he's a very good player who is 34 years old, which is the rub. He did not have a great year last year. Uh, I don't remember if I said it on, on this show. I'm sure I did. Last year, he was a guy I wanted United to go out and trade for. Because he is an upgrade over Davey Arnault. He is a more possession kind of player than either Kitchen or Arnault has been for DC United. And he's a guy that, that can be a very important, a very good kind of glue piece in central midfield who will, will come through for a decent number of goals and assists, but mostly just 
make everyone around him that little bit better. Um, and I think he, he could still have it, but it's a little bit iffy just because he's coming off an injury and he's coming off a year in Colorado and he's a year older, obviously, than he was last year. Jason, do you like this trade? Uh, in theory, yes. Um, it's not ideal because of his age. He's We're, we're getting younger. Uh, if, if we think of him as the replacement for Davey Arnold, we're getting younger by all of about eight months, um, which isn't really getting younger at all. Um, but he is an upgrade there. He is a more skillful player. I think his, his key passes per 90 minutes played were like, it's like 0.8 per game rather than 0.5, which doesn't sound like a lot, but it is a 60% jump um, from a, a position that doesn't tend to rack up that, uh, that many key passes period. Um, so I think he does change the offense. He, his best quality is opening the field up, which uh, Arnold has tried to do, um, but he's not necessarily good at spreading the ball wide. He tends to go over the top uh, down the middle a lot. Um, with United's addition of some speed on the wings, I think a player like Sarvas becomes a little more important. Um, but I am, I do, I can't say for sure whether his year in Colorado was bad was bad by his standards because of Colorado being just horrifically mismanaged. Um, and so, to be clear, Sarvas played the six, the eight, and the ten in Colorado. Uh, he, he should be the eight. Um, it's abundantly clear what he should be, but the Rapids moved him around. Uh, they they played him as a 10 like four or five times. Not just It wasn't like an, uh, a random experiment. This happened more than once, and it was always unpredictable. Um, the Rapids were a mess last year, so I think everyone was everyone there is was pretty bad as a result of that. But how much of that was the fact that he turned 34 and is playing a hard-charging central midfield role? Um, Arnaud is not if, – if Arnaud retires this year, it's not going to be because his, his legs gave up on him. Um, so that's a good uh, uh, strike in favor of players that age. But we don't know. We don't, you know, Dwayne DiRosario was this age when he hit a brick wall physically. Um, so it, it's all down to, you know, how much he takes care of himself, genetics, all that kind of stuff plays in. And, and we'll only find out when we see him on the field. But if he is fit and he can play 25 to 30 games, um, then he is an upgrade. And yes, it's not, you know, a guy in their mid twenties coming from Argentina to, uh, take over the world, but it is something. It is better than standing pat. Uh, it's, it's better than rolling the dice on someone who's never played a professional game. Um, certainly with the guy, guys like Julian Buescher or Colin Martin, it's not necessarily the best situation playing alongside Halstead because of you've got a certain amount of defending that needs to be done, a certain amount of ground that needs to be covered. Uh, Servas covers that ground. Um, he will do that running. Um, so in terms of matching the club's best current available defensive midfielder, he's a better fit than anyone on the team. But it's all based on the hope that it was mostly the fact that Colorado was awful last year and not a player just getting too old. Yeah, go ahead, Ben. One, I was just going to say, he has so much Champions League experience that he makes so much sense just for the beginning of the season when DC United is in the Champions League 
and at the and playing these early games and if somebody beats him out or if he falls off a cliff in May or June or July then that's different than him being available for the Champions League and hopefully being able to help DC United transition through those early games where they were not able to do that last season against Alajolense in particular. We, we should note that the whole reason he ended up in MLS was when he played at Alajolense, he was in the same group as the Galaxy were. This was back when there were four teams in a group. And that group ended up in a four or a three-way tie. Three teams finished with four wins and two losses. Alajolense ended up falling out on goal difference. But um, both games he played against the Galaxy – he played in the role he would probably hold here, and he looked great. Um, and when he moved to L.A., his first season, Beckham was in that role, and there was just no room for him. So he ended up playing right and left midfield sometimes. Sometimes he subbed in for Juninho and became Beckham's assistant in central midfield. Um, that None of that was a good use of him, and it showed. When Beckham retired, or I guess Beckham technically didn't retire as a Galaxy player, but anyway, when Beckham got the hell out, um, Servas was awesome in 2013 and 2014. He was one of the most underrated players in MLS. And, you know, 2013, 2014 feels like a long time ago because 2013 was like a seven year season for DC United. Um, but it really wasn't that long ago. So there is a, there is good evidence that he can be a, four or five goals from central midfield kind of player. He's he's put up that kind of, uh, or maybe not four or five, I mean, three or four, but that's still an upgrade over our note. It's still an upgrade over Kitchen last year. Kitchen scored four in 2014, but last year he had, I think, two. Was it yeah. only the two? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Um, so it adds some scoring punch on a team that needs some scoring punch. Um, Patrick Nyarko is going to create chances. He's not going to score that many goals. Um Words short a forward as is. Um, so goals have to come from somewhere. And if, if Sarvas can be a goal scoring central midfielder, even if just, you know, if he can get to four goals, that's, that's pretty good. Um, I think that would, that would certainly help United out. Just the threat of him helps out. It helps everyone else. So that's the ideal scenario, though. We'll see how his legs are when he actually, he's already in camp. So we don't have to worry about how long it's going to take him to, get into town he's already there um we've seen or i should say we've seen photos of him and other dc united players kicking a ball around um i haven't actually seen sarvas in florida in the last 24 hours because i haven't been to florida but um, you're assuming you're, you're trusting I'm, dc United's yes, social I, media i'm assuming that the team has not put on any elaborate staged hoax to pretend that a player got there a little faster than maybe he would have otherwise stanley kumbrick has come back from the dead to uh make sure that uh, th- this is a hoax that he's going to make sure happens. Well, if we're talking directors in preseason, uh, I think J.J. Abrams, judging from the lens flare of the first preseason game, is the director <laughs> in place. Um, wow. okay. right. Kubrick true. would never have allowed that lens flare. He wouldn't have stood for it. No. It was really unnecessary. Uh, one last name we're going to mention is Giorgio Samaras, who is a Greek forward, uh, really big target forward, made his name with Celtic up in Glasgow, has not played for the last uh, little stretch. I don't know if it's like six months or 18 months. He hasn't played for a while because he's had some pretty chronic back injuries to the point that 
the New York Cosmos and a couple other teams have have basically said pass on him after trialing him. Um, and he is next on the list of players that Dave Casper is going to talk to in Europe. He's on his way to Greece or will be shortly on his way to Greece to talk to Samaras. And hopefully there's a physical uh, contingency in whatever contract they may or may not end up signing because I am worried about this. I mean, this, the, the situation with Samaras is that he was apparently training with the Cosmos for a couple months before they then put him through the physical at the end of December that he failed. I mean, it's it's February 1st as we record this. So he failed a physical for the Cosmos a month ago. Um, and it's a back problem. It's not a problem that goes away in your 30s. Um Without a major, I mean, Jaime Moreno, for example, had a back problem that required major career, apparently career-threatening surgery, and he came back built differently. Um, he spent all of his off time adding muscle and lifting weights, and he was slower and bigger, but that was what he had to do to stay on the field. Um, he had to play a different sort of game. Um, I haven't heard anything about Samaras going uh, undergoing that kind of change in the last month. Um, what I've heard is that. He also failed uh, physical with Sampdoria in Italy, um, which is kind of the opposite outcome. So it really doesn't look good. I hope that I hope that Dave Casper is going to Greece and just like knocking things off of Samaras' shelves and trying to make him pick things up, and then he can evaluate his back from there. Yeah, because he's in Greece, I'm just picturing him knocking ancient vases off of podiums in the middle of the room. Yes, I probably I have an unrealistic picture of what Greece is like, <laughs> or, well, or just bottles of ouzo. I can tell you guys this: <laughs> my my grandmother uh, or my great grandmother uh, was Greek. Um, she was born in Greece, and to this day, my mom in boxes has various small uh, vases with Greek stuff on them. Um, okay, so, so maybe I'm not, not that far off. <laughs> at least uh, you might just be off time wise. It might have just been in like the early 1900s that that was a Greek household. Ancient Greece ended in 1911. <laughs> it went right up to 1911, then ancient Greece stopped abruptly. Uh, Dave Casper is also going to be stopping in France, in England, off of the Washington Post. Um, he will be talking to players in each of those countries. Uh, how far along any negotiations may or may not be, we don't know. At this point, we haven't heard any specific names. We still have Zlatan. random League Un player Zlatan. who I don't think is is yeah, Zlatan is like unless we want Zlatan to play. <laughs> if we want Zlatan to play, you know, Defensive midfielder, that would be a, an he interesting play, experiment. He can play any position he wants. Are you saying we should dare to Zlatan? Obviously. I mean, always they're, dare to Zlatan. They're so far clear of everyone that they could give him up for nothing, and it just wouldn't have. they would still win the title by roughly as many points. It just wouldn't matter. So they might as well right. just send him here, is my point. <laughs> and cover his salary while he's here. They've got money. It's... <laughs> If they got one thing, it's it's money. If they have two things, it's money and an unreasonably large lead in in their league. I'm not going to continue going on that joke. That joke please is don't. not going anywhere. Please, please don't. Instead, I'm just going to end the show. Thank you all for listening. 
find us at blackandredunited.com. We are on Twitter at filibusterdcu, at blackandredu for the website. Send your emails to filibusterpodcast at gmail.com. Find us on iTunes. Find us on Stitcher. We're also on SoundCloud. And now we're on archive.org as well. So thank you, Ben, for archiving everything in the filibuster back catalog. And we've been around long enough that we have a back catalog now. That's kind of cool. We have a giant Most- back catalog. <laughs> I don't no, know if I'd go that far, but then again, I'm not the one that manually input it into archive.org. Yeah, so 168 episodes. Yeah, we're almost at 170 episodes, and it's all because no one has kicked in the door and stopped us yet. That's sure. actually very true. <laughs> Please tell your friends about the show, uh, especially those friends who like DC United. That's really how the word gets out about the show. For Jason and Ben, I am Adam. We will talk to you next week. Until then, say goodbye, Jason. Goodbye, Jason. <laughs>